This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. Today, I'm talking to Dan McCrory, who's got a new book. What's your book about, Dan? It's called Capitalism Killed the Middle Class, 25 Ways the System is Rigged Against You. And what it is is part memoir, because I was a CW local president, communication workers, and I um, also put a little look into the future with things like the universal basic income, the gig economy, and things like that. And I also looked at our history as far as uh, whether or not we uh, were ever going to get a labor party and, and uh, topics like that. You're, you think we might get a labor party? That actually comes up in your book? Yes, it does. And uh, it's, it talks about uh, four times that it was attempted, going back as far as 1894. And uh, Samuel Gompers put the, uh, the kibosh on it at that time. Samuel Gompers, uh, of course, was the head of the AF of L when it started. Exactly. And uh, so he didn't want a workers' party. He wanted. Well, we were major recession at the time. It was actually a rolling dual recession, almost uh, our first depression. And he looked around and he saw people hurting and uh, jobs going by the wayside. And he said, "This is not a good time for a labor party." Yeah, but he was he was president of the AFL for decades and he still didn't start a, a workers party. Exactly. So the idea wasn't too popular with him. You know, I'm still kind of getting over the fact that you use the word capitalism in the book because uh, not so long ago, nobody ever said the word capitalism. Nobody ever said socialism. I mean, socialism would be like the last word you would say, uh, but, but even capitalism was, Nobody ever acknowledged that uh, the economic system in the United States was capitalism. They always called it freedom. Or democracy. Or and, democracy, which is not even an economic system. Exactly. But, in fact, uh, but you, you're, 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 you're putting yourself kind of on the, on the cutting edge here by, by throwing out the word capitalism. And, and I, I infer from the title that you're not too crazy about it. Uh, I think a lot of people, if you look at all the homeless on the streets and things like that, they would agree with me that capitalism isn't working for everybody. So I think uh, that uh, if some changes, drastic changes are made, where um, maybe labor comes into its own again, and uh, we have a system that allows for negotiation at the highest level with wages and working conditions that maybe uh, the labor movement can be the savior of the middle class. So the labor movement is what you're hoping for is going to pull us out of all this. Exactly. Would that include the environmental crisis? Because I know that labor has got some good positions on the environmental crisis, but frankly, I don't really see them doing all that much. Well, I talked to some uh, labor friends in Switzerland, of all places, the International uh, Labor Union that exists there, International Labor Organization, the ILO. And they told me that uh, what they did was they put something on the table with uh, governments in, in Europe that said um, workers are the first that are affected by uh, bad uh, environment. And uh, if you give them the jobs to clean it up, they're the best people to clean it up. So that actually created jobs in the uh, environmental sector, so to speak. So, so it's working in Europe. 
Yes. And you have hopes for it working here, that uh, yes. the labor movement will actually be the way to solve the environmental crisis. What about racial justice? That's an issue for all of us that's really come to a peak in this past summer, or a new peak, I should say. And, uh, and do you think the unions have a, have a solution for that? Well, Walter Ruther, uh, head of the UAW way back when, uh, walked alongside Martin Luther King uh, in the march in Selma. And uh, I think a lot of us are, go are going to be on the right side of history on this one. And I do think that uh, all our brothers and sisters together uh, can, can do something about this. So yes, I think the labor movement can play a major role in uh, getting rid of systemic racism. Are you, have you been around the labor movement a long time? Over 40 years. Over 40 years. So that would take us back to what, the 1970s, 1980s? Yes, yes, 1973 is when I first became a union member. Mm -hmm. Because up before, before, uh, before 1995, unions didn't have such a great, uh, such a great reputation in the progressive movement. Uh, you said 1973, that was uh, right before the very last part of the Vietnam War. And for the most part, you may recall, the AFL-CIO supported that war against the, the uh, youth of America. Well, there are a lot of lies being told back then, you may remember. Uh, General Westmoreland was said we were, we were winning the war in Vietnam, and he told Nixon that. And Nixon believed him, and a lot of Americans believed him, and it turned out not to be true. And eventually, the tide turned, and everybody saw that this was that we were fighting a losing battle in Vietnam because they saw us as invaders rather than their uh, northern Vietnamese um, kin. Dr. Martin Luther King helped people come to that realization. Exactly, and yeah. when he was was fighting for sanitation workers in Memphis. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the AFL-CIO of today is quite a bit different from the AFL-CIO prior to 1995. And, uh, and because of that, there are people like you who consider the AFL-CIO or the labor movement in general to be the very core of the progressive movement. But there are still people who don't think so. There are people who still see the AFL-CIO as part of the establishment. And uh, these are the same people who see the Democratic Party as not being uh, a positive force. So you're saying though that a workers party could come about and that if it did come about, it would be the unions that started it or it would be based on the unions, I guess, right? Yes, sir. Uh, what I uh, envision is that the labor movement uh, go through uh, uh, a look at themselves because I, I actually did a webinar a couple of months ago where I asked three questions. What does the labor movement do right? What do they do wrong? And what do we need to change to survive and even thrive? And I had uh, lots of guest speakers and uh, all of them agreed that there are th change needs to come from the bottom up. So the union members need to get active and start demanding uh, the very best from, from the union movement in, as a whole. Exactly. You see that as happening? Uh, nobody likes to change. I know that. 
And I know, I know plenty of labor leaders uh, in a lot of different unions that would fight that tooth and nail. But uh, the inevitable uh, situation requires us to take a look at ourselves and change so that we adapt and are able to draw new union members and also um, look at the changing scene as far as uh, uh, jobs that are out there. Uh, for instance, my, my new union, which is the National Writers Union, which until recently was a part of the UAW, we were going to um, magazines, pro-union magazines like In These Times and others like that saying, you need to have an agreement for freelancers so that uh, they uh, can have uh, equitable pay and, and things like that. And we've been very successful. And that's thinking outside the box. And I think a lot of labor unions are starting to do that now and going after uh, groups that uh, haven't traditionally been union. But when you talk to millennials, they see the union movement as a no brainer. They, they think it's inevitable that uh, people uh, join the labor uh, union. So, so the millennials you're saying are very positive toward the labor, toward the, the union movement. Well, you'll be very, very happy. Very, you'll be very happy to know since you mentioned the writers' union, which was associated with the auto workers not so long ago, uh, that there's now a writers' guild which is associated with your union, CWA, and they right. recently they recently organized the journalists of the Dallas Morning News, where I am, and also of the Fort Worth Star Telegram. Uh, which is near Dallas. So uh, the Writers Guild, CWA, has got some new members coming in who are journalists in the North Texas area. I guess you're pretty proud of that. That used to be the Newspaper Guild. I think they're actually called the News Guild, right? Remember oh. correctly. But I also used to be a part of that organization, even though I was already paying dues to CWA. I decided to give them two times my amount of money by... Uh, I uh, did the newsletter for the LA County Federation of Labor, which is all the unions here in LA. And um, so I had to join that as um, part of my uh, job responsibilities at the LA County Federation of Labor. There's a lot of, lot of controversy right now concerning journalism because for, for some time now, uh, there's been a movement underway to undermine the truth and to say that uh, that the journalists are all liars, uh, that everything is fake news, and that if it doesn't uh, fit into a certain pattern, that a preconceived pattern, then it's not true. And uh, so, consequently, journalists have been very much under fire and have even been called the enemy of the people. Do you, do you see know that is changing? Uh, definitely, because uh, anything that he called fake news was anything that was negative towards him. So uh, it was real easy to find out what he would declare uh, fake news. I interviewed uh, the head of the International Federation of Journalists a couple of years ago, and he was very uh, wary of uh, where we were going with uh, the term fake news, because he saw it as undermining uh, the standard bearer of great journalism, which is the, the United States. And hopefully it will be uh, again soon. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us how, how does your book, or can you suggest in just a few minutes, how does your book uh, see a resolution? How does your book see things coming out better than they are now? Well, it's funny you should say that. My last chapter is called Evolution or Revolution. And one's going to be very painful and the other one is going to 
uh, it shows an evol evolving consciousness by the citizens of this country and by uh, all the people that are taking a look at where they stand on issues. And I, um, I hope that the answer is going to be evolution, but uh, there's going to be some pain involved too, I'm afraid. So it might be a mixture of both, but uh, I, I tried to draw a, a, a dragged line to uh, from um, the things that we went through before, such as the 1894 uh, loss of a labor party uh, through FDR's um, championing the uh, labor cause, even though he was the richest man that ever ran for office uh, before uh, Mr. Trump. And uh, I, I tried to show how everything leads to the conclusion that we need to take matters into our own hands because for a long time now, the middle class has not had any say so in Washington or um, in a lot of state capitals either. So, so you think that we will evolve then into uh, into some kind of better society? Will it still be capitalism, or would it be would it be socialism or something else? Well, I'd like to see what they have in uh, Sweden and uh, Denmark and those places, mm -hmm. and they don't like it uh, when we call it this, but it is social de democracy. It's um, and social democracy simply means thinking of the, the, the regular man or woman on the street rather than the, the pe people, the towers of uh, power. Mm -hmm. if, if we concentrate on what we need, what the middle class needs, let's face it, the only taxes that are being paid these days are people like us because the poor can't afford it and the rich find all sorts of ways to get out of paying taxes. So that puts the monkey in our back. And so if- By the people like us, you mean people in the middle income brackets? You got it. Mm -hmm. And I think we deserve some respect and, and some dignity for that. And uh, so we should see laws centered around things that are going to ease our uh, passage, I guess. Um, one of the things I'd like to see is infrastructure. Infrastructure falls right into the lap of uh, labor responsibility. So uh, we are the ones to rebuild the, the bridges and the roads of this country. What, what trends do you see that give you this optimistic view? What things <laughs> that are going on make you uh, more optimistic about the future? Because of my conversations with millennials, and, and uh, that my book is actually targeted towards them as well as uh, uh, old salts like yourself and me, uh, who uh, want, want to see what's happening out there in, in the real world. And millennials, uh, at first I thought they were just going to be uh, snowflakes, but uh, they they really feel for the issues, and they have a keen grasp of what needs to happen in this country to make things better for everyone. And I, I believe me, I I gained renewed hope every time I talk to a, a millennial because their growing consciousness. You're saying that the younger people have a a growing consciousness that will assert itself and. Uh, and make a better world as, as they tend to take over. I guess the older folks will just be dying off and the, the millennials <laughs> will take over. Well, I see part of our job as, as sort of directing them and uh, uh, making sure they don't get off track. Right after the 2016 elections, I tried starting a, a club uh, with all the millennials that I had met and it died under its own weight because they were you know, writing uh, rules for the club that were very exclusionary rather than inclusive. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
that's where it went wrong. And uh, what well, they have to realize is that uh, they need to persuade people, uh, the neoliberals that we uh, know of in the party, to come over to our side to look at things like, for instance, a $15 wage. Uh, Hillary said, oh, we can only do $12. Uh, we need to stop looking at incrementalism, thinking that's the right way to go. We need to have some bold, innovative ideas. And that's the reason why Bernie Sanders was so popular, because he was bold enough to say, we need this, we need that. And the party actually, even though they poo-pooed at the time, a lot of those things have come to be on the uh, list of things that the Democratic Party believes in. So you were a Bernie supporter. Were you, were you happy with the way the election turned out? No, I was not. Well, I mean, as far as Biden getting elected, uh, a lot of people have said I wasn't voting for uh, Joe. I was voting against Donnie. And uh, a lot of my friends uh, felt that way because we had to get rid of him before we could start pushing the party back again to the left. Mm -hmm. Well, frankly, what I hear from the AFL-CIO today is, is that uh, they're celebrating the Biden election and they're looking forward to trying to get some of labor's uh, priorities passed uh, and I'll be in the coming in the coming months uh, yep. the push right now is for is for the the heroes act which will be another big bailout for uh, uh, american businesses that will uh, pro theoretically provide some jobs and keep people going and that's the main priority for the AFL-CIO is the HEROES Act. Uh, I think right after that comes the PRO Act, which would make it easier to organize unions. And I guess those are things you would be for, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't too sure that I was uh, in favor of the uh, card check that they had uh, put up for uh, adoption a few years ago, because I saw it as a way for unions to have a lot of infighting and raid each other. I was worried that they were going to go that route. Uh, hopefully, there are things put in place with this act that, that won't allow for that or make it much, much harder for that to happen because um, there are unions that are no longer under uh, the wing of the FLCIO that uh, look to grow their numbers, and that's the way they look at growing their numbers. And, and uh, we got to keep on point on that uh, to make sure that uh, that isn't what happens. You happen to have a copy of your book nearby? Maybe you can show us your book and tell us how to get it. Capitalism uh, killed the middle class. Yep. How it's do you available. get one? It's available on uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, and uh, on my uh, website, of course. And, and your website is named Dan McCrory? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's called, it's under hosting authors uh, slash authors slash Dan McGrory. I know it's a big mouthful, but um, that way you're not giving well, they can to just the Google. They can just Google Dan McCrory. That's true. That's a your book, or they can go to Amazon and put yep. in capitalism kill the middle class. And if they mention they're a labor member, I'll be glad to send them a study guide that I read to go with it. Okay, that's great. So you're hoping that, you're hoping that some, of the, uh, some of the union people or some of the millennials will uh, not just read the book, but act, but take it to heart. Exactly. There are some lessons in there that uh, I've had uh, doctors say they didn't know that uh, when they read the healthcare chapter, some of the things that I put in there. I've had uh, lawyers, uh, I, I had one lawyer 
that I met in Thailand from Canada, and he arranged a talking group of, of uh, former captains of industry. One of the, uh, these guys was uh, a former Toronto stock exchange person. Another one was a former VP from Disney. And we went through my book chapter by chapter. And uh, they, I opened their eyes somewhat too. Good. So give us, uh, give us the elevator pitch or the, the short pitch. Why people should buy your book? Because you can read a lot of books like this, but you don't see any from uh, that are tales from the trenches, people that have actually lived the things that we're going through. You can get books by um, um, people, uh, ec economists that, that uh, will tell the same stories, but uh, they weren't there necessarily. And uh, this one hits home. It, it, every chapter has a little bit of me in it, as well as uh, what, what's going on in the world or what has transpired to get us to where we are. All right. I'm talking with Dan McCrory about his book, Capitalism Killed the Middle Class. And this is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.